Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Who Scored, Kieran McLaughlin and Jonathan Wilson is with us as always as well. We're here to preview the Premier League's weekend action, but Kieran, we're going to start with the Champions League team of the week. What has the algorithm threw up? Yeah, so we've gone for a 4-4-2. Um, I don't think you'll like our wingers again this week, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, we've started with Edison in goal. Uh, we've got back four of uh, David Calibra, uh, Bastoni, uh, Matteo Damian, Federico DiMarco. Uh, Four-man midfield of Bernardo Silva, Rodri, Barella and Vinicius Jr. And then Haaland and Benzema up front. Don't, don't mind the midfield. I'm not sure about... Darmian at left centre back in a in in two centre backs though Jonathan yeah I mean but why would you not just use those players in the four three three play play Bernardo in tucked in and play Vinicius high on the left and you play Benzema sort of in a, in a sort of narrow right sided role that would work because we play four four two that's what the algorithm does yeah. the algorithm it's loves four four two it just it just it choose it choose everything it up and comes out with four four two every single time that's just that's yeah. just what the algorithm does. What did I you, think what even did you Diaz would be uh, disappointed not to get in that team. Oh, I thought yeah, he was yeah, brilliant no. on Tuesday, but Bernardo yeah, Silva was sensational in that game. Yeah, I, mean, I think I'd probably just pick eleven City players to be honest. You, you thought thought they were that good? I thought Bayern weren't weren't too bad in all honesty, but City. Just but that, that that's why City were so impressive that Bayern were quite good. They did challenge them. I think they did the right thing of picking a lot of pace in forward areas, trying to get in behind City. There's a couple of times when they, yeah, they, they 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 did create chances, but City, and this is where they, I think they've fallen down times before. They, they 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 stood up in those sort of more more physical, more individual moments of defending, um, and that's where Bayern fell down. It was a pretty even game, except City defended the one on one moments really well, and Bayern defended them really really badly. Uh, and Upper Meccano, I mean, I I, I, I I never understand Upper Meccano. He's one of those players, and I, I accept this might to an extent be. I don't see him often enough to judge him properly, but people who watch the Bundesliga say he's great. Every time I see him, he looks hopeless. And I thought he looked hopeless at the World Cup, and I thought he's looked hopeless whenever I've seen him in the Champions League. He's just a mistake waiting to happen. And I suspect he is a player who, when he get, yeah, when he's really put under pressure, can't quite cope. And the problem is in the Bundesliga, you're not put under pressure that, if you're buying, you're not put under pressure that often and so he sort of strolls through games and then suddenly he'll collapse when he is under pressure. But I thought Kimmich was really bad on the first goal as well. That uh, Tuchel had, had picked up 4-2-3-1. He had Kimmich and um, Goretzka playing deep in midfield precisely to block up that area where Rodri suddenly got space. So something's gone wrong there. Uh, Musiala charges across to try and to stop it and he's probably gone a little bit too quick so it's easier for Rodri to chop inside him but Kimmich is then so slow to get out and he should have been anticipating Rodri turning inside Musiala because the only thing Rodri could do where he'd retain the ball was to turn back inside Kimmich should have been out to it but he wasn't he was in line with the centre-backs and then he's really slow to close down the shot and he turns his back on it and that's just somebody who's you know I think he's a really intelligent player but that's a player who sort of just looks complacent, somebody who hasn't got that hard edge of regular competition. So, yeah, I thought Bayern played pretty well, but that edge just wasn't there. Whereas City, who have, I think, at times in big games, slightly lacked that, were absolutely on it. Diaz thought was brilliant, Bernardo Silva thought was brilliant, Holland was brilliant, um, and they, they, they fully deserved the win. Yeah, I agree with what you said about Upa Meccano. I saw a fair bit of him when he was playing for Leipzig and he felt on it. He was really, really good every time I saw him for Leipzig. And then you're right, the big games for Bayern and, and France, which is when you tend to see see more of these players. So he, he, he does seem to have suffered a little bit. And Kimmich, I just think, I don't think Bayern utilised him to, to his strengths, in, in all honesty. I think he'd be better if he had someone more defensive alongside him and he was allowed to do the things that, that he's good at. He's got an unbelievable passing range. Kimmich, but because he has to play as the deepest midfielder all the time, you don't really see it. Kieran, who do you think is going to win the Champions League? Uh, it's a tough one because I think the last time I was on, I was uh, back in Bayern Munich. That's looking, um, that's not looking too healthy at the minute. Um, my next option would have been Napoli, but you know they, sh- you know, fell to one 0 defeat last night. I feel like they can turn it around back at home yeah. um, for sure. But it was surprising, you know, how well they did in the first half, and you just, just couldn't score. I mean, obviously they missed Osman. Uh, very much, but you'd imagine if they have him back, they can get to the next round. But um, I feel like City, you know, it's betw- I think it, if it came down between them two and obviously City winning 3-0 at the moment, they're going to go through. So I think they'll probably 
go all the way to win the Champions League. I'm going to stick with Real Madrid, who I said last time. I just, I just can't see it past them. They just know what they're doing in, in the Champions League. Jonathan, are you plumping for City? Yeah. Um, yeah. I just don't think anybody's any good. <coughs> any except for them. Yeah. Um, I mean, Real Madrid, have, have, they've had that thing for, well, all last season, a little bit this season, where they just they do enough. They somehow turn games around. And, and that, that is a quality that you know, is, is, is valuable and is difficult to... To a still in the team, so it may be that they they can they can beat City. You know, we said this about City before that they've looked in in a great in great shape, and they often look in great shape in Europe until it goes wrong for them. But Napoli, I think, have have gone. You know, that four 0 defeat in the league to Milan, plus last night, you sort of think, yeah, they're looking a little bit leggy now. It looks like the the steam's gone out of them a bit. Missed opportunity for them. Yeah, it really is. I, you know, this was a great chance for them because it was a de- definitely a spell. You know, months, six weeks ago, when they were playing the best football in Europe, but that's that's over. Yeah, Bayern, I, I, to, I know they'd won eight in, in a row in the Champions League, but I saw them um, against Inter in the group stage. I saw both the games against PSG, and wasn't that impressed by them. You know, the thing I thought was telling against PSG was that last half hour of the first leg when Mbappe came on and they panicked, and it's exactly the same panic as you saw against City. They're just not used to defending. They're not. They're not tough enough. Um, and that's a that's a function of of the Bundesliga. That it's too easy. For, I know that it's a title race this season, but they're just not challenged often enough. So, how are they ever going to get that that hardness you need to win big games? They they, they, they just don't have that that week to week challenge. Uh, so, so City and City are playing really well. I mean, the City the last couple of months have really hit form. Um, Guardiola's. I, I guess the one thing you might say is that he's essentially picked the same, not quite the same 11, but sort of the same basic shape, sort of 12, 13 players being fitted into that shape. So, you know, sometimes Mars will play, sometimes there'll be you know, Gundogan and Bernardo Silva shuffling between the two. There's occasional tweaks at the back. But fundamentally, you, you, you know what the City team will be with maybe one or two adjustments. Given they still have potentially 15 games this season, will they start to run out of steam come the middle of May and June? And that, that is definitely possible. And the truth is, we don't really know the dynamic of this season because we've never had a season like this before. No. But at the minute, they look straight ahead of everybody else in Europe. And I'd include Arsenal in that. Interesting stuff. Let's talk about Arsenal and then. Let's look at the Premier League. Arsenal go away to West Ham this weekend. A little Ian Wright derby for us this week in the Premier League. And potentially, Jonathan, Declan Rice is playing against his future employers. Yeah, possibly. Um, I, mean, I think Arsenal definitely want to bring somebody else in in central midfield. I think that's one area where they are still um, slightly short of numbers. Um, he, he would seem the, the, the right sort of fit of player for that side. That, that you know, he's, he's young, he's hungry, he's got a range of attributes. Um, he, he, you know, he can certainly press, he can certainly pass the ball well enough. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think there'll be plenty of clubs going for him. But yeah, he, Arsenal w- would seem a logical move. And I think Chelsea, for a long time, it seemed a logical move. Well, that, that's not the case anymore. So if he wants to stay in, in London, Arsenal probably are the, the, the team for him. Yeah, Kieran, you're an Arsenal fan. A year ago, you wouldn't have dreamed probably of being in the race to, to sign Declan Rice. Now your club's front runners. Amazing what a year can do in football. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I think he's definitely a player who could uh, improve us a lot. Um, I think our strongest eleven is maybe one or two players away from being at the best level it can be, I think. Um, and I think he definitely offers that adaptability in the midfield. Um, I think he can play deeper, which he generally does for West Ham. But for Arsenal, I believe he could probably play a more advanced role because uh, he's definitely a player who likes to carry the ball. Um, it's potentially where Xhaka has been playing this season more, uh, more of a kind of an advanced eight kind of position. Um, he can obviously use his ball in. Uh, skills, which he's obviously ranks highly in the league for, both in the midfield third, which he ranks second for, and then even in the defensive third, um, which he ranks quite highly for. Um, and as I said, he's a player who likes to carry the ball. He creates chances. He's obviously got very good passing accuracy range. Um, and I think he is definitely a bit of a step above from Jacker. I mean, he's obviously had a very good season this year, um, but he is getting old. Uh, so Declan Rice would definitely offer that kind of long-term replacement. But as I said, um, as an adaptable midfielder, he's probably the perfect player because he's played more deep this season. But I think he could even fill in at centre-back. Obviously, Saliba's injured at the minute. 
Um, but he's definitely got the attributes. You know, he's very high. He ranks highly for tackles. He's the third highest in the league when it comes to interceptions. So he could even fill in there. But yeah, for sure. I mean, there's also rumours that we could get Carcedo as well as Rice. And if that was the case, uh, it would probably make sense if he could play in that more um, advanced role. But yeah, like you said, a year ago, couldn't dream of it. But I'd say it's very much a realistic opportunity, even if we were not to go on to win the league. I mean, almost, well, I'll say almost certainly, absolutely certainly Arsenal will be in, in the Champions League next season. What do you think of that, that Jonathan? Do you think Rice is a, a good fit at Arsenal? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I mean, I, I think... Is it the best move for him, do you think? Do you think that's the best move he could get now? Well, I think if he went there, he'd be pretty much guaranteed fo- football, uh, which is a big thing. You know, I mean, players can, in the modern game, because of the stockpiling of players, you could do what, say, Calvin Phillips has done and move for a big sum and find yourself nowhere near the first team. Well, he doesn't want to do that. Uh, you can say maybe he's better than Calvin Phillips, but yeah, they, they, the two of them, I think, will be in Gareth Southgate's first team for England. So you'd say that puts them on a level. Um, so I think he would be a, a pretty much a guaranteed start at Arsenal, whereas maybe it's... I mean, I don't think there's any sort of prospect from going to City. United, maybe. Uh, United, I think, um, probably need midfield recruits. You can see him doing a job there. Maybe learning alongside Casemiro would be a, a good thing for him. But uh, I, I, I mean, it depends as well. Like, how attached is he to London? Does he does he want to stay in London? Um, but I, I, I sort of think if you're a if you're a young British player playing for Arsenal at the minute, it must be an attractive proposition because there is a sense of something building and growing there. I think the fact that that team, it's it is so young. And it still is on the way up. I think that 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 must be an, an enticing thing. It must be an exciting thing to be part of. And to, if he went there, he, he'd become one of the leaders of it. And you sort of think, you know, Rice and Odegaard playing together, they could have a partnership for the last seven, eight years, which, which again, must be an exciting thing. So, um, I, yeah, I know there's a Chelsea link because of his his background and and, and uh, where he played before and his friendship with Mason Mount and everything. Although, yeah, Mason Mount may well not be staying at Chelsea. But failing that, yeah, I think Arsenal does seem the most logical place. Yeah, and as I said at the start a year ago, that would have been unthinkable that they'd have they'd have been able to have the power to, to pull in Declan Ross. But it just shows you how well they've done and how far forward they've moved in a year. Is this Arsenal's biggest midfield battle of the season? I asked that question, Jonathan, because when I played Manchester United, there was no Casemiro. When I played Fulham, there was no Paulinho. Party was missing for the Man City game. And when I played Brighton, there was no Caicedo. Also, no Benton Kerr when they played Spurs. So there always seems to be midfielders missing whenever Arsenal rock up to play a team. Against Rice and Suchek, although I'm saying this question, I'm thinking whilst I'm saying it. Suchek's not at the level. Suchek's not at the level that, that he was in previous years, is he? But I guess it's a good audition for Rice in some ways. Look, it's 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 obviously not the hardest test of the season. I mean, Ben yeah, wrote the script. Ben wrote the script <laughs> before everyone shouts at me. I just read what's there. Suchek and uh, even if Pakatos back, which I, I think is sort of a 50-50, uh, and he may not play anyway. They may. It's possible they stick with a four-four-two, but um, it's it's you know it's it's a decent midfield, but. It, it's not City's midfield. It's not United's midfield. Even one or two players missing. It's, it's not even Tottenham's midfield. It's it's a it's a decent midfield. It will be a challenge for them. But I, you know, Party, Xhaka, Odegaard are better. They, they 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 should come out on top. It'll be interesting to see Rice against that. But but you know, it's even yeah. Newcastle's midfield is better than West Ham's midfield. It's it's it may be in the top ten midfields in the Premier League. But come on. The words are on the page. I just 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 read what's there, Jonathan. We'll have a go at Ben next week. It's not <laughs> not the not the best of questions, was it? I think the point he's trying to make is is that every other game this season, the big midfield has pretty much been missing when Arsenal. Have well, played. yeah, okay, that's that's true. But I mean, yeah, you know, West Ham, West Ham in the relegation battle—they're obviously not very good. Like that's, that's just, um, yeah, midfield is is probably the. Is it the best part of West Ham's team? I'm not even sure that's true, is it? It's... I think Rice is just the best part of their team, isn't it? West yeah. Ham, their team this this season, they had two good seasons and then they've completely gone away from anything that suits David Moyes, giving him this collection of, of players that I can't imagine he was too heavily involved in. They don't fit with the way Moyes plays. Some of the, I mean, Carrera at the back, he has been 
terrible every time I've watched West Ham play. He, he's play, either playing right back or centre back, and he looks like he's lost between both positions every time I've seen him play for, for West Ham. I don't think Emerson at left wing back is a massive upgrade on, on what they had. They've had injuries at the at the back. Aguirre's missed most of the season. In fairness, I think he looks quite a good player. But even not Fabianski, who's been such a dependable and consistent goalkeeper in the Premier League for years now, he looks a bag of nerves. I think West Ham's problem is is at the back. Well, and they're not scoring goals. I, mean, I think their top scores, no. uh, Bowen and Ben Rama, both got four. I think that's they're the leading scorers. Ben Rama's will, but a couple of them will be penalties as well. Yeah, they would be. Yeah, yeah. So Antonio's got three. Ings has got two. Uh, Skamaka's got three, I think. Um, and that, that, well, I mean, that's partly because they've chopped and changed and they haven't had a settled setup up front. But we're not scoring goals, and we look leaky at the back. It's it's not a good. It's not a good formula. No, and. You mentioned Ings there, uh, Kieran. Ings v Antonio. I'm guessing against Arsenal, it'll probably be and Antonio. But again, they're signing Ings. Ings doesn't really fit with what they do because he's he's not a lo- not a lone forward. He, he can't really play as a lone forward. His best spells in his career have come when he's played in the, in the front two. They sign him to try and get the goals to stay up, but then he doesn't he doesn't play every week. Ings obviously, I feel like offers more of a goal threat than Antonio, um, but. The thinking might be behind the fact that Rob Holding's most likely going to start again. That uh, Antonio potentially might be able to dominate the dominate in the air more than Ings, especially as you know, if you look at aerial duels one per game, he's winning one point four compared to Ings, which is zero point five per game. Um, and as I said, Arsenal, you know, they looked not shaky, but Holding at times didn't look like he was. He, he couldn't handle the pressure. I mean, I know Gakpo's a a different kind of striker, but there was times where, you know, backing off, he wasn't really challenging and it almost looked at times like Liverpool were targeting that side of the fence. And if, you know, West Ham could do the same and almost Antonio could get it holding, that could be a way in for West Ham, but potentially their thinking might be to play both of them. Because as you said, the best thing, uh, the best of Danny Ings came uh, when he played as a two uh, at Villa was with Ollie Watkins, arguably Villa played better as a team. I believe when those two played together, and that could be uh, David Moyes' thinking that Arsenal need to that they need to dominate Arsenal's defence, which is obviously not their strongest without Saliba. Um, you know, I know it's only been what three or four games, but goals conceded per game has gone up, and obviously they haven't managed to keep a clean sheet since his injury. So they might feel like playing both might be the way to get at Arsenal and potentially get goals. I mean, the drop-off from Saliba to holding is pretty big, although a shout-out to his Jonathan Wilson-like locks that have somehow appeared from, from absolutely nowhere. Rob, <laughs> Rob Holding, there's some some transformation on the hair front. The good news for West Ham is that they've only lost once at home in 2023, and that was to Newcastle, which can obviously happen to anyone. And we haven't talked about the game last week, Arsenal, Jonathan at, at Liverpool. Unbelievable game, my favourite game I've watched this season, unless that's recency bias. I can't remember a game I've enjoyed more than, than, than watching that one. It's a bizarre moment that Gary Neville picked out in the in the in commentary where Xhaka kind of G'd up the, the Liverpool fans and it almost like got the blame for, for Liverpool coming back back into the game. Teams that are playing Arsenal at home because of how well they're doing, the crowd will be a little bit more more up for it, won't they? Yeah, I think with the crowd at London Stadium, it, you know, if, if Arsenal were to go two 0 up. I don't think the crowd at London Stadium would behave like the crowd at Anfield. You know, we saw the Newcastle game how you know, it was empty by the end. I think there's a lot of frustration still around West Ham. Um, and I think you know, as an away team there, you, if you start well, you have the opportunity to get the home crowd on West Ham's backs. So different yeah. stadiums behave, behave in different ways. But and Anfield, I think, you know, the the, 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 the the cliche of it is is at least partly true that... It is a stadium that has a material impact on on games, and I, I've sort of seen a bit of a backlash against Gary Neville for for for, for blaming Xhaka. Uh and maybe blame is the wrong word, but there was definitely a, a change in mood at that moment. And yeah, anybody who goes to football, yeah, anybody who goes to football has, has gone to football regularly knows that some games something happens and the crowd suddenly get up for it, and and you can see it transmit itself to to the pitch. Um, and I remember, I mean, this is years and years ago. This must be sort of early 90s. Southern were playing Peterborough at home, and it was nothing was happening. It was an absolutely dead game. And then word came through that Newcastle had gone behind. 
And because nobody had cheered anything, people suddenly start celebrating madly Newcastle conceding. And Sunderland scored within seconds. And it, it, it really felt like the crowd getting up had just suddenly kind of injected that energy onto the pitch. So I, I don't think that's a, a, a I don't think that's a false idea. I think that can happen. And it, it did it did appear that, that that in that moment Anfield suddenly became noisy again, having been very quiet for forty minutes. If Liverpool hadn't scored before half time, Arsenal probably would have got away with it. But but they did score. And from then on, it never really felt to me likely that Arsenal would would, would hang on and win that game. So, so yeah, crowds do make a huge difference. Do crowds particularly care about beating Arsenal? I don't know, but I, I, I think crowds definitely can sense when a team feels under pressure and, is, and, and can be quite good at ramping up that pressure. And one of the things with City is because they control the game, certainly in the Premier League, they tend to control games so well, they tend to hold the ball so well. One of the, one of the, one of the things that does is it just keeps everything quiet. It's, it's sort of... It, it lulls the crowd into sort of an acceptance of their fate. Um, whereas, you know, the way Liverpool play, the way Arsenal play, they don't quite have that level of control. Um, and that maybe makes them more susceptible to to, to, to crowd influence. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, they've got some tough away games to come, teams that have got good home records or teams that are, are better at home than they are away. West Ham, Man City, Newcastle, Forest. Yeah, Newca- so. that Newcastle game looks really hard, yeah. Well, yeah, Forest as well. I mean, Forest only six points away, yeah, so... Yeah, that'll be some huge games still left for Arsenal. Plenty of twists and turns left in the title race, I'm sure. Let's have some score predictions then. Kieran, I'll come to you first. Um, I think if uh, we can get a quick start in the game, I think uh, we can overrun West Ham, potentially uh, 3-1. 3-1. I'm going to go for a big, juicy 4-0 to Arsenal. Jonathan? I think it's over, 1-1. 1-1? Yeah. You think if you when you say you think it's over, what what title race is over? City are winning a title easily. It's a massive shout with how many games is there left, and Arsenal are currently currently top. You you think you're that certain that Man City will win the league? Yeah. Okay. We're about to talk about City, uh, so so I guess this is a a segue. segue So Man City, Leicester. Here we go. The the only thing that can stop City is the fact they have fifteen potentially fifteen games left, and. Guardiola has, has, for the last sort of month, six weeks, picked a pretty settled team. That makes them more susceptible to injury. So we saw uh, De Bruyne go off having seemingly been injured on, on Tuesday. It wasn't quite clear. He looked very angry at going off still. Yeah. So, I mean, if that is something, then, you know, you lose him. That's, that, that is a big issue. If, if they were to lose Grealish in this form, in Holland in this form, Bernardo Silva in this form, Ruben Diaz in this form, those would, would have an impact. It may be, come the end of May, that they, they do start to tire. But their run-in is relatively straightforward. I mean, they've got... Their, their, their run-in is Leicester at home, which they'll win. Brighton away, which is tricky. Arsenal at home, which is obviously massive. But that could be the game where they affect, you know, where they really sort of seal the title. Uh, Fulham away, which these days isn't as tricky as it looked like it might be. West Ham at home, which they'll win. Leeds at home, which they'll win. Everton away, which they'll probably win. Um, Chelsea at home, which... I mean, depends if Lampard's been sacked by then and replaced by somebody. The easiest game of the lot. Uh, and then uh, Brentford away on the final day. So West Ham without sorry Manchester City without him to do too much can can easily win all those games. I I, 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 there's, I there's only two or three games though. I think there's even a possibility of them dropping points, and that puts enormous pressure on Arsenal. And you know, I, I, Arsenal in that second half looked the team under pressure. I look forward to seeing this on Twitter later. Jonathan Wilson, the title race is over. <laughs> and on the Her Score Twitter page, I'm looking forward to seeing that. And the reaction that comes with that, because the Arsenal fans, even if you said something three years ago, they'll come for you on Twitter, as I found out <laughs> recently. Let's talk a little bit about Leicester. Then every week on this podcast, we talk about a new manager being welcomed into the into the fray, Jonathan. This week, it's, it's an old favourite of mine, Dean Smith. Can he lead Leicester to safety? Yeah, his last two jobs, uh, Villa and Norwich, he did have an impact immediately. That, that is definitely true. So at Villa, he, he, which is obviously in the championship, he won five of his first nine games, uh, kept four clean sheets. He did tighten them up. Admittedly, there was a 5-5 draw against Forest in that run, which isn't that tight. But yeah, four clean sheets in nine games, given how they had been playing, is, is an improvement. At Norwich, he um, won one and drew two of his first three. But yeah, Norwich was... Probably not a great idea for him to take that job. I think the, no. the 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 downward path was already set, and I think 
it was very much sort of a rebound gig for him, which I, I think is never a great idea uh, for a manager. I think if you've been sacked, you probably should go away and allow yourself to process that and reset and then then come back. Um, so if he can have that kind of impact, um, the, then, then yeah, maybe he will he will tackle. But I can't see him doing anything in this game. No. But in a sense, City away, it's a, it's a free hit. You expect to get beaten. You expect to get beaten heavily. So he can take the opportunity to have a look at his team and um, and see where to go from there. But yeah, I, I I don't. I mean, I don't understand why Rogers didn't leave early in the season when it appeared pretty obvious that he felt he'd run out of road. That that, that he he was. Um. I don't think he'd have been devastated to be sacked earlier, put it that way. And, and, and so the understanding is that the owners couldn't afford to do it. They couldn't afford to pay up his contract because they'd lost a load of money in the pandemic because uh, you know, their business is uh, duty-free shops and airports. Um, and that obviously is, is one of the things that's affected um, player dealing as well. So uh, I, 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 you know, you saw it happen at, at Liverpool. The, the, it, the last few months went pretty pretty badly for Rodgers. I think it, at Celtic, you saw he he almost seemed tired of a job by the end. He seemed very keen to get out. And the fact he left before the end of the season, even though there's still trophies on the line, I think suggested that that, that he'd wearied of that job. I think he looked weary of a lesser job and, and probably the best thing for all concerned would have been to to relieve him of it probably you know, during the World Cup just after. And then the new manager could have had a proper crack at it rather than yeah, eight or nine games. Yeah, one thing about Dean Smith, Kieran, and I, I witnessed this obviously as, as a Villa fan. That horrible season where football went away for a bit, and then we came back after lockdown. Villa were in a pretty hopeless position, in all honesty, look, looking like they were heading heading for the championship. And he put together a defensive structure and a plan, along with John Terry and the coaching staff at the time. John Terry, of course, has, has joined him at Leicester. He put together this this structure and plan and made Villa a lot a lot more solid and harder to beat. And initially. They've got a few nil-nils, they'd lose games 1-0, but they've been shipping goals left, right and centre, a, li- a little bit like Leicester. But they did enough and they won enough games to stay up that season from, like I say, a really hopeless position. Even with three games left, I think Villa was seven points from safety and it was looking like all, all was lost. But he got this plan and he got this foundation and, and kept Villa up. So from that perspective as well, I guess there is some hope for Leicester. I mean, they're not in the greatest positions at the minute. Coming into this weekend, it's probably the worst team to be playing when you're in this position um, 19th from the table um, they could be about five points outside um, away from getting out of the relegation zone by the end of the weekend um, but you know there's always that cliche about you know teams being too good to get relegated and you know I suppose less so one and when you've got players such as James Madison in your team who's up there is the best rated player among uh, the uh, relegation battle teams from 12 downwards um, so you know, you do feel like they have got too much quality to go down. Um, and he's obviously had that experience with Villa, as you said. You know, he can grind out results. And that's probably the most important thing at this time of year is just getting results. It's not how you get them. It's just getting them, um, you know. And as hard as this weekend's going to be, if he can make a big statement here, even if he just keeps the score down, if he can keep Harlan quiet, keep it to a 1-0 or potentially nick a, a 0-0 draw, 1-1 draw, then uh, it could you know, boost them for the rest of the season because relegation relegation battle teams are the worst teams to play at this time of the season, no matter how good the opposition is. Villa had a talisman, I guess, as well, Jonathan, in, in Jack Grealish, and obviously James Madison will fulfil a, a similar role for Leicester if, if they're to stay up. The, the worry around him at the moment, I was at Brendan Rodgers' last press conference before a game, and he was talking about they have to manage Madison, having to manage him in training because he's got he's got these these injuries. He's, he's struggled with durability at, at times this season. He didn't look himself against Bournemouth, and it's not. Due, I don't think it's due to, to lack of effort or any anything like that. I think it is down to, to down to this injury, and he's he's struggling a little bit. But they'll need to get him right because he'll be huge if they're to stay up. Yeah, and, and and if if he can't play every game, have, have Leicester got? Is it eight games or nine games they've got left? Eight games left. Um, if he can't play them all, then I guess if you're picking and choosing, you don't play him away at City. There's no there's no, no. point playing him in this game. Uh, that Leicester have have bigger games to come. I mean, what 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 is their running? They've got um, three huge ones after this, I think. Yeah, Wolves at home, Leeds away, Evan at home, Fulham away. You'd think all four of those there's a chance to get points, and then it gets that's where they stay up, isn't it? If they're going, yeah, because they they've got Liverpool at home, which again Liverpool's away from isn't great. So there's a chance there. Newcastle away, penultimate game of the season is tough. And then a massive, potentially massive game of last day at home uh, to West Ham. So, yeah, I mean, I think 
I think from a Leicester point of view, you almost forget this weekend. Let Dean Smith get his feet under the table. Let him work out what he's doing. Don't take a risk on anybody because there's no point. And then, yeah, it's those next three games where, where yeah, they have a chance to get the points that could keep them at least in the race. Yeah, I mean, there's been 20 goals in the last three Premier League meetings between these two sides at, at the Etihad. Leicester won one of them, didn't they? Quite quite heavily, if I recall. I can't remember the score. But I remember five Madison. Two, I five yeah. two, I remember. Was that last season? Yeah, yeah. that seems un- that seems unthinkable that that would have happened last season. But but it, but it I know. Did. I think it was the season before. I think it uh, might have been during the lockdown potentially. Yeah, you've, I've lost all concept of, of time due to that <laughs> lot lockdown season. Things that you think were ages ago were naturally were naturally that long ago. Yeah, it happens when you get old. It does happen when you get out rapidly. Well, not rapidly. I'm approaching 40 sooner than I would 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 like it to be. Anyway, let's talk about John Stone. Now, John, Jonathan, you've made a big statement already this this podcast. I'm about to make one as well. This one, this new formation really seems to suit John Stone and this, this kind of hybrid role that he's got. Two, I think John Stone is the best centre back in Europe. Would you agree with that? In Europe, I mean yeah. that is, that is a big claim. Who's better than John Stones? I'm, I, I, I regret saying it already. Actually, I'm thinking. I'm suddenly, <laughs> no, suddenly, centre back names are rolling around my head, and I'm thinking, well, that set of fans is going to come and have a go at me on social media. You would I mean, say Van already... Dyke over the years, wouldn't you? But yeah, but Van Dyke this moment. season, absolutely not. No, I mean nobody at Bayern, uh, nobody at PSG, Real Madrid, at Emiratao. But yeah, I'd probably take Stones above him. But when you say that, I'm not even sure he's better than Ruben Diaz. <laughs> Stones is honestly Stones is so so good. People associate him with the way he started his career and when he first went to City, where he, he had a bit of a ricket in him, he'd make a bad pass and things like things like that, and he'd give away goals. He doesn't do that anymore. He's so good on the ball. He's a Rolls Royce at the, at the back. I thought in the Euros when England came so close to winning, I thought he was England's best player the whole way through that tournament. I honestly think he's the he's so underrated. I, th- I think he's top draw. Yeah, I mean, I guess he he slightly goes under the radar because he he spent. Yeah, recently he spent a lot of time playing at right back, uh, albeit in a slightly unusual way. I, I'm going to any side in the world, John Stones. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I feel like I'm missing obvious people, but maybe you're right. <laughs> Kevin, um, are we missing? Are we missing anyone? I think you might be missing two. <laughs> Go on, then. Hit, hit me. Hit me with two that are better than John Stones. Uh, Saliba Gabriel. <laughs> no, come on, come on, Kevin. It's, it's a serious podcast. I don't know what people have been telling you, but this is this is a serious podcast. Get, uh, get, I'll set you a task for next week. I don't know whether it's you on next week. I've said this. Uh, get the get the stats for the top ten centre backs in in Europe if we can for, for next week. I honestly think he's incredible, and he's so tactically good as well, Jonathan. To, to be able to do that role, not many again, not many centre backs could do what he does. Uh, this is what my column for the observers on on Sunday. So so do look out for that, and uh, please buy the paper. Um, I'm going to buy it for you, Jonathan. Oh, not, thank for, you not, not for you because I'm not going to give it to you afterwards. But I'm going to I'm going to buy. I'm going to I'm going to read that. The, yeah, we we basically for for I mean for sixty years, the fullbacks have been becoming increasingly attacking, and I think we we reached the limit of 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 how attacking they can be. Probably with Alexander Arnold and, and uh, Andy Robertson, the you know, two seasons ago when Liverpool won the three seasons ago. Whenever Liverpool won the league, whenever that was, so when you when your fullbacks are getting or twenty five assists or whatever it was between them, they they can't really get more attacking than that. So what what's the next stage of that evolution? And maybe the next stage is them to stop going forward and to start coming inside. And Guardiola obviously did that with um, Philip Lam at, at Bayern. Uh, I think he's tried to do it slightly under the radar at City with uh, did it a bit with with Fabian Delph. Did a little yeah. bit playing Fernandinho at fullback and, and tucking in. But that that also felt like a, a, you know, a temporary fix. Jacques Cancelo obviously did it from from the left, but now Stones is is doing what, what Philip Lamb did. Um, and I thought, I mean, I thought Bernardo Silva was absolutely brilliant on Tuesday. But after him, you, you like you like Bernardo Silva. I think you've, that's the, the second time you've said that. I, I thought thought you, the way he was Bernardo on Silva. the way he was on Tuesday. That's that was just Wilson's a, got his favourites. Ruben Diaz is one, <laughs> and Bernardo Silva is, is, yeah. is one as well. No, it's it's true. Um, but I think Stones is probably their their, their best player after Bernardo Silva on Tuesday. Just the ease which he stepped up into midfield. I know coming from centre back, not from right back, it's slightly different to what we're talking about. But yeah, to have a, for the it, it's not just technical ability; it's it's the, the tactical awareness to do that and to know when to do it. And I, I think it's a really it's a really interesting thing that Guardiola is doing that 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 three two shape. He's obviously decided is the best way of stopping counter attacks. So when in possession, get a line of three, get two midfielders protecting them. They don't always have to be the same players, but ideally they wouldn't always be the same players because you want that flexibility. 
Um, and it's going back to, to you know, that shape. If you showed it to Herbert Chapman, he'd understand what was happening. Herbert Chapman would be saying you should go more direct. But Herbert Chapman would understand that shape. He'd understand those principles. And that's a really interesting thing that, that you know, 90 years on, you know, that, that, that shape remains still you know, the, the best way of stopping teams counterattacking against you. But you, it, it's, it's difficult to find a way of achieving that if you're going to play a back four uh, and if you're going to retain some degree of flexibility. And one of the ways you can do it is by having your, your, your full back or your centre back stepping up to become that second holding midfielder and having a player who's comfortable doing that. Yeah, we know it's difficult because otherwise it would have happened before. And the fact Stones is, is helping pioneer that. You know, I, I don't think five years ago people would have thought of Stones as a sort of tactical trailblazer, but he is. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned Diaz, I've mentioned Stones, but Nathan is quietly having an exceptional season for Manchester well, and, City and as well. He's making Grealish better. Yeah, Grealish is unbelievable at the moment. So, so But good. I, I think Grealish is really benefiting... This isn't a criticism of Jacques Cancelo, but the way Jacques Cancelo played, You're I think right. he often came into the space Grealish wanted to come into. Yes. And you, Grealish's interview on the on the pitch after City won the title last season, I know I talk about this a lot, but it's one of the most interesting interviews I've ever heard. And unfortunately, Michael Richards was talking over the top of it the whole time, trying to just sort of get him to celebrate rather than actually say interesting things, which is what he was doing. But he was saying how hard he found, you know, he'd been used to a fullback going outside him. And then he would come inside, the fullback would go outside. And then you have know, a fullback he's against, doesn't know which way to go. And that would maybe take the weight of the fullback onto his onto his right foot. And then Grealish could come in inside and you know, attack the foot where the weight wasn't. And you know, when Cancelo's in that space, you have to change your game. You have to do things differently on top of learning all the Guardiola stuff. So to, to, to not have to worry about that, to have a very solid fullback behind you, um, to basically know that, I just look after my own game and yes, I've got to track back, but I'm not, not worrying about the position of the player behind me. He's just going to be behind me, supporting me. That, 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 that I think has simplified things for him and he's really benefited. The last couple of months he's been, been sensational. Yeah, he's their, their big danger man at the moment. Everything City are doing good. He's really coming through Jack Grealish and that, that wasn't really the case last season. You're completely right on the fullback thing. His best season for Villa was where Matt Target had, had, had a good season playing as a, as you would expect a, a left-back to play, but backing him up and making runs on the outside at times. I think the Cancelo thing last season, the Cancelo's a very good player, but I do think that impacted Grealish. I do think that's something that's not spoken about enough because we, we've made a couple of bold shouts while I've made a couple of, uh, of bold shouts. We're, gonna, we're not, not going to talk about a couple of things we were going to talk about. So we're going to the to the score predictions. Kieran, I'll let you go first again for this one. Uh, I think I'm going to go with 4-1 City. 4-1 to Man City. Jonathan? 3-0 to Manchester City. 3-0. And I'm going to go for a 2-0 to Man City. Dean Smith offering a little bit of improvement at Leicester. But they still lose. Let's look then at Chelsea against Brighton. It's Frank Lampard's first home game in charge. Last night, I mean, I don't think it's a terrible result under, under the circumstances, Kieran, the, the way that game could, could have gone. They started well. They started, I thought Lampard's tactical plan at the start was actually pretty good. And if, if they'd have had the shooting boots on, they might have gone ahead. In, in, in that game, but he need, he need, they need to start winning games, Chelsea, don't they? Because they're not winning football matches. They need to start winning games. They need to start scoring goals as well, I think. Um, you know, it's all well and good creating these chances, but they're not scoring enough. Um, I think, you know, even Haaland's scored more than them <laughs> combined, which um, tells a lot. But um, it's a perfect opportunity. It's first first home game, obviously. I think the fans are very supportive of having Frank Lampard back. I think wholly, I think they were in general. Um, he's obviously well loved by them. Um, I think his home record when he was last in charge wasn't too bad, you know. Um, obviously, it's quite a mixed record altogether. But home, it wasn't too bad. Couple of couple of results where he lost to maybe like Cities, um, Liverpool's, but on the whole, it wasn't too bad. Um, as you said, yeah, they didn't start too bad against Madrid. Um, conceded a couple of chances. Of course, you were going to expect that at the Bernabeu, but keeping it to two 0 especially after the sending off, you know, isn't a bad result. Whether they go through or not, of course, a different matter. I mean, absolutely um, not. They're not going through. Oh, no, no, of course not. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this is obviously a massive game. Um, Brighton, obviously, are fighting for the Champions League, you know, or just Europe in general. Chelsea, obviously, uh, just need results. Um, and I think uh, they should, I think potentially should be setting up in more of an attacking uh, system in this game than he did against Real Madrid more 
in the 4-3-3 that he preferred when he was first um, in charge at the club. Um, and I think that definitely gets the suits the players he has. Um, and, you know, he's got an abundance of quality and it's just about getting the best out of them. And as I said, they just need to start scoring goals. Yeah, one thing I did like about Chelsea last night, I liked that the look of that midfield three of um, Enzo, Kante and Kovacic. I think that's a... That's a good midfield three, although Mason Mount doesn't get into that team, which I, w- I would find a problem if I was a Chelsea fan. But on Kante, Jonathan, if he starts against Brighton, which I'm not sure he will because he looked absolutely exhausted at the, at the end of the game last night, it'll be his fourth start, fourth league start of the season for Chelsea, and all four of them will have come under different managers. I mean, that just shows the basket case of a club that Chelsea have been this season. Oh, it's absolutely shambles. Uh, I mean, I think I think you've been very, very kind to Lampard. Though. Lampard's lost ten of his last eleven games as manager. Um, I mean, a lot, yeah, a lot of them were were obviously at Everton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, that's irrelevant, isn't it? Yeah, okay. I, I, I just I just thought the setup was was okay. I, 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 not, okay, I thought, yeah. I thought I think he he's lost. He's lost six of his last nine league games as Chelsea manager. But he's, he's, okay. I, I mean, these these aren't great things that that, that you throw in. Right. I'm not what, defending what, what, him. What's what's his job? His job now is is to, to coax to keep, to Chelsea to the end of the season. They want 39 points, not going down. I saw that question in the script. Don't embarrass yourself by asking it. We've got 39 <laughs> points. <laughs> it's his job is to get them through at the end of the season. And they're not going to go down. They they could get into the conference league, but they don't really care about that, I assume. So the only thing, the only thing he's got to worry about is the Champions League. The only logic in sacking Potter when he was sacked, if there is any logic, and given it turns out James Corden is a director of football at Chelsea these days, <laughs> there may well not be any logic. The only logic is they thought they could get somebody in who'd have a better chance of winning the Champions League than Potter. Potter, in his career, had managed one Champions League knockout tie in which Chelsea played very well and beaten Dortmund 2-1, but actually was much more comfortable than 2-1 makes it sound. Lampard has also managed one Champions League knockout tie in his career, which he lost 7-1 to Bayern and got absolutely thrashed. Why you'd think Lampard is a better option, it just makes no sense. I've got no idea. But, okay, Lampard comes in. His job against Wolves on Saturday is get this team set up, get them prepared for how you're going to play against Real Madrid. What does he do? He takes the back three, rips it up, says, oh, we're going to start with the back four. We're going to play a 4-3-3. We're going to play completely different to how we play against Real Madrid where we go back to the, the back three. Um... He then says in his, his, his uh, post-match press conference, oh, I, I couldn't sort all this out in, in, in two days. He's not meant to be sorting it out. His job is not to sort it out. His job is to, to just hold their hand and take them through at the end of the season. You know, Chelsea on Saturday against Wolves had one shot on target. It's Wolves. Their, their, their midfield was overrun. So, of course, they got overrun by Real Madrid. Real Madrid were playing in second gear, if that. It was... Last night was one of the most insipid games of football I've ever seen, never mind for Champions League quarterfinal. Real Madrid, the disrespect Real Madrid showed Chelsea, both their fans, their players, the lack of intensity, the lack of urgency, the sense of, oh, well, this is inevitable. Yeah, it was only 2-0, but the sense was that they could have won that 5 or 6 if they'd really wanted to. You almost, I mean, I'm sure this isn't the case. You almost wonder if Ancelotti sort of thought, I better not really go for it because I don't want to embarrass Frank. So I, I thought Chelsea were awful last night. I thought they were awful against Wolves, and maybe being at home makes a difference. Maybe the the yeah the fans who still remember them as a player will, will sort of generate something, and they'll given Brighton seem to be the unluckiest team in the Premier League at the moment. Maybe they will get something, but I I, I, I just don't understand what's what's going to happen the rest of the season. I don't for the life of me think they even appointed him thinking they had a chance in the in the Champions League. Although although saying that. I don't know whether you saw Todd, but the Todd Bowley clip before the game last night. For an owner even to say that a team's going to win 3-0 is just ludicrous. An, an owner who knows what they're oh. doing just doesn't say anything. Has he made a single good decision in his time in charge of Chelsea? <laughs> Name one. I'm trying to think. Uh... I mean, he, he's, he's maintained Chelsea's buffet for the media as the best in the Premier League. He has done that. And let's know, give credit I've, 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 not, I've not got much experience of this, but I've got to say the, the training ground spread at Leicester the other week was absolutely incredible. Yeah, Leicester's buffet is good. And this was the training ground. We we don't want to see them go for that reason. Um, so no. I'm, right, I'm right behind Dean Smith. I mean, we don't want to see them. I don't, I don't want to see Leicester go anywhere, in, in, in all honesty, the more Midlands clubs, the better. But that, yeah, I've, I've never been to, I've never seen the Chelsea spread, but the, the Leicester City training ground 
unbelievable third. Unbelievable. I mean, we've completely gone away from the question but, that, that you set. They've probably made a couple of, of people players who will turn into being good signings at some which point, ones? I would say. 85 million on Mudrick. Mudrick can't get anywhere near the team. Enzo Fernandez is, will, will be and, a good uh, signing well, over the years, won't it? Enzo Fernandez is a really good player. They spent well over 100 million on him. Of course. It. Kieran, can you help me out with any good decisions Todd Bowley's made? I, I think they might have made the two worst pound for pound signings in history. In fo- the history and, of football? Yeah, in Mudrick and Kukurea. Oh, Kukurea, dear me. 60 million for. Ben Chilwell last night must be seething with him. Uh, Absolutely seething. I mean, yeah, it was, I was completely Kukurea. Kukurea is, is a player who, you know, he'd be a cult figure at Birmingham. He'd be quite a. You know, he'd be Birmingham's best left back than Stephen Carr. Stephen Carr was but, a right back, Jonathan. But, but best full back than Stephen Carr. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I had there was to be, to be picky with you because you've set a question that I don't have the answer to. So all I had was to correct you on that. It was the only, only positive, <laughs> positive I had. I think in, in time, they will, they will just by default turn out to be a few good decisions for, for what they've done. But I'll tell you, tell you point, they're just an absolute basket case of, of, a, of a club at the, at the moment, Chelsea. Lampard has been bought in for, for feel good and, and nothing else. But in, in my oh, opinion... Nothing makes you feel good, like losing 10 games out of 11. Yeah, they'd have probably been better off just giving the job to John Terry. John Terry was in and around the place at, at the time. Let, let John Terry see out the season, in, in all let, honesty. Let, let Potter see out the season. But they, the, what, fans what, what the, the fans didn't want him, did they? they the fans had turned. They, they, I, as much as I think Potter's a really good manager, I just don't think he was a good fit for Chelsea. And what, what I mean, I don't think anyone would have been a good fit for Chelsea. And what that, they that were, may be true, but I think, I think they'd have had a better chance of beating Real Madrid with Potter than they did with Lampard, than they do with Lampard. I think they'd have still... I mean, it's going to look really bad when Chelsea win 3-0 next week, isn't it? It's like... Maybe that's what Todd Bowley was talking about. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. he, was, maybe he was on, on, on to next week's game. Just lose the first leg 2-0 and then win, win the second leg 3-0. I mean, that would be great for them, but they're just not going to get past Madrid, are they? I'll t- take your point. The original point I was trying to make was at the start of the game, I didn't think the setup was, was too bad. I'll take your point that you should have gone with something similar against Wolves in, in, in the game before. But they had, had a couple of counter-attacks at the start of that game where they could have potentially gone 1-0 up and sat back, but then there's, there's players there that... But I, I, I mean, that, that, that's true, but I think that's an example of, of Real Madrid just sort of not really taking the game seriously. I also, I thought Real Madrid were, were poor. I, I don't I don't get... I, I Every time I see Camavinga, he's like the, he's the anti-Upper Meccano for me. Every time I see Upper Meccano, I think he's hopeless. Every time, I see, every time I see Camavinga, I think he's great, apart from last night. Well, what's he doing at left-back? Reese James well, had the beating of him all night. And he got that early booking, and I, I sort of, yeah. If, if Chelsea had really been able to, to apply any pressure, I think he could have been in real trouble. But I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I didn't think that worked at all. I, I, yeah, I would have had him in midfield, but yeah. What, what, apart, apart from the four Champions League, what does, what does Ancelotti know? Yeah, I can't claim to have watched loads of Real Madrid league games this season, but I assumed in the games where Camavinga was playing left back, it would be in a similar to a Man City way where the left back comes inside and makes the extra midfielder. Yeah. But that, that yeah, really possibly, wasn't yeah, yeah. that wasn't what they did. That wasn't yeah, how, how he yeah. how he played at all. I assumed that was the reason for left back because I thought it was actually quite brave playing Cruz as the as the deepest holder on on it. But that owner. again that, that suggests could have been a problem. How, how... Yeah. How little Real Madrid thought Chelsea were going to threaten them. Yeah. They haven't scored in four games. No goals in four games. Yeah, if you don't score, you're not going to win football matches, are you? That's, that's my analysis. That's good analysis. <laughs> top, top analysis on the on the podcast. Let's have some score predictions then. Chelsea v Brighton. I mean, barely spoken about, about Brighton. I apologise for that. But yeah, I'm watching watching the clock and we've gone off on so many tangents on this on this podcast. Kieran, uh, score prediction? 2-2. Uh, 2-2. Two, two. Chelsea are going to score two. Not sure oh, about yeah. that. Uh, I'm going to go for... I might go for a 2-2 two, two as well, actually. I'm going to go for 2-2 <laughs> two, two as well, Jonathan. 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. So there we go. We've annihilated Chelsea, but they're going to get a point against an informed Brighton side. We'll finish, as ever, with the quickfire previews. It used, used to be called Just a Minute, but I think because Ben always goes over a minute, he's changed the title to quickfire previews now. Jonathan, now this is a juicy game this week, and I'm not just saying it because I'm a Villa fan. I really think this could be an, an excellent game. You've got Villa v Newcastle. Yeah, it's it's six v third, um, which sounds like a great battle for European places, but there is... There is a, a nine-point gap between them and Newcastle do have a game in hand. So I don't think Villa are going to catch Newcastle. Um, but Villa have won six and draw one of the last seven. Newcastle haven't won at Villa Park since 2013. But Newcastle are also in, in very good form. They've, they've uh, they had that run of five games without a win, but they've won five in a row since then. Uh, the game at St. James's Park was was 
to Newcastle, but it's obviously a very different Villa, uh, who, as we keep saying, got the third best form in England since Unai Emery took over. Uh, Newcastle are three points above Spurs with a game in hand, so they really should be set for uh, for top four. I, I guess if they lost this, they might get under pressure, but but it, it does look now, with the way Tottenham are playing, as if that top four is, is pretty much settled. Uh, Cash, Cameron, Coutinho and Bailey all out for Villa. Almiron, San Maximo and Kraft out for Newcastle. But I've got Newcastle to win by a goal to nil. That's a minute. Goal to nil. I'll tell you, Villa have scored every game under Unai Emery so far, Jonathan. Yeah. I'm going to go for 1-1. Kieran? Yeah, I think I'll go 1-1 as well. 1-1 as well. Me and Kieran now just copying each other on, on the podcast. And you mentioned, the way you talked about Villa there, Villa aren't obviously going for the Champions League. Villa are going for the one of the Europa places, even if, that, if that's the Conference League, Jonathan, and that, that's highly possible at the moment. Different tournaments for different needs. Yeah, and, and you should enjoy the Europa League, which I'm sure you'll get into. Do you think? Do you think Villa will get in the Europa League? Yeah, the they're playing really league. No, I think they'll get in the Europa League. I mean, they're playing really well at the yeah. minute. Uh, I, th- I think... Uh, I suppose I suppose it's uh, it's two from three with Brighton and Spurs, isn't it? That's, that, that's the equation. Um, seventh could end up getting you the Conference League, I think. Yeah, so, uh, you, so you've got to be top six to be Europa League, so... So yeah, okay, may, maybe maybe it's possible that, that uh, yeah, but uh, I mean Brighton are so unlucky at the minute, and Spurs are so bad at the minute. Yeah, you know, Villa are the are the form team, so why not? Absolutely love it, Jonathan. Kieran, you've got Everton v Fulham. Um, Everton have only won once in their last seven, uh, winless in their last three. Most recently, losing two 0 away to Man United after they uh, rescued a point against Spurs um, at home this season they've only won five times uh, three of which came have come since Sean Dyche's appointment um, but altogether in, at home only Leicester and Southampton have picked up fewer points uh, for Fulham they're winless in five which is their longest winless one uh, this season um, and they've lost their last four in a row uh, losing most recently to West Ham um, even after West Ham had come off that 500 feet to Newcastle um, but positive for them, away from home, only seven teams have actually picked up more points than them. Um, and with Everton looking solid at the back at home since Deitch came in, because they've only conceded three in those five games. Um, but with both sides struggling to secure wins, I'm going to say 1-1. One, 1-1, one. One, one, Jonathan? Yeah, also 1-1. One, 1-1 one. One, one as well. I'm going to go for 1-0 to Everton. I think Fulham, unfortunately, they're falling away a little bit in the Mitrovic banners has hurt oh, them. Hang on, sorry. Uh, sorry, I've read the wrong thing. I've got 1-11. Yeah, sorry. 1-0 to Everton. Jonathan now yeah. copying me. Yeah. Uh, Southampton v Crystal Palace for you, Jonathan. Yeah, th- th- this is the 1-1. Just a, it's a bit, a bit of a spoiler, but never mind. Oh, I've ruined it. Yeah. Um, Southampton, four points from safety, bottom of the league. Uh, yeah, the defeat to City uh, last week. They played pretty well first half. Losing to City is no no shame in that. But they are now five without a win since the uh, victory against Leicester. They got Ruben Sellers the job. Um, really, I think if they don't get something here, they, they are looking in a lot of trouble. Uh, Palace, it won't surprise Amy to learn, remain 12th as they have been for 120 days or something. Uh, they're six points clear of the drop now. Uh, back-to-back wins under Hodgson. Um and they have a pretty straightforward run of games from now to the end of the season. Only Spurs and Fulham uh, are in the top half. They've got left to play in Fulham, as you just alluded to, uh, 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 struggling a bit. So you do feel sorry for Patrick Vieira that he had all the hard games. Hodgson's got the easy games, but he has turned things around. Uh, Zaha Guaita are both out. Edwards are doubt. Uh, Adams, um, uh, Salisu and Lavia are doubts for Southampton. Uh, Palace won it one nil in the league, but Southampton did beat them in the cup, and I'm going to go one one. I'm going to go for three one to Crystal Palace. Roy Hodgson's attacking Eagles, Kieran. Two uh, one Palace. Two one to Palace, Kieran. You've got Tottenham against Bournemouth. Uh, yeah, Tottenham have only won twice in the last seven in all competitions. Uh, two in the last five in the league, um, but they do come into this game after two one win over Brighton. Um, um, but home soil this season, they have got a very solid record. They've won 11 times in the league. Only Arsenal and City, who have both won 12, have got more. Um, for Bournemouth, they've actually got three wins in their last five in the league, um, including the one to win over relegation rivals Leicester in the lead up to this. But away from home, it's not looking as good. They've conceded 38 goals away from home, which is the worst in the league. And only Forest have lost more games than them away from home. 
Um, Spurs are the only team in the league who are yet to draw a game in the league. Um, and because they look so solid at home, um, I'm going to say 3-1 to Tottenham, especially as they have such a great record against Bournemouth, which has seen them win eight of their 11 meetings in the Premier League. Is that true? They've not drawn a league game also, is it? No, nah, they're the only team. Is that really true? I've not, not noticed that on the league table at any point that they've they've drawn zero. I feel like that's something I would have clocked at, at some point. Obviously, obviously not. He's, he's, he's answering, he's, he's checking, he's not sure. Ah, <laughs> They haven't drawn at home. <laughs> they haven't drawn at home. Here we go. Only team not to draw at home. <laughs> they famously drew 3-3 three, three at Southampton. I don't even remember that guy. The game had prompted the, the Conte rent when they were three went up. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even that feels years ago. What's, what's going on with time? I really don't understand it. <laughs> at the moment, things that, things that were recently feel like they were years ago and things that don't feel like they were that long ago are years ago. That's how I feel with, with football at, at the moment. Um, score prediction. What was your prediction, Kieran? Uh, three one Spurs. Three one. I'm not going to copy that. I'm going to go. I'm going to go one one. Uh, Jonathan. Two nil to Spurs. Two nil. So yeah, I'm going the one one first draw. At, uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, of course, this season, as we all know. Uh, Wolves v Brentford, Jonathan. Yeah, Wolves sort of quietly probably are just about doing enough to stay up. They've taken seven points on the last five. Obviously, beat Frank Lampard struggling Chelsea last Saturday. Um, they've taken twenty six points from nineteen. Uh, since Lopetegui took over, and that's lifted them up to 13th, so four points to the relegation zone. Uh, Brentford, uh, they're ninth now. They haven't won any of the last four. That's partly because of the fixtures. They played Brighton, Manchester United, and Newcastle in that time. Um, but they are now four points behind Villa in sixth. So that 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 race for Europa League place maybe is starting to get away from them. And if they are going to get back into this, this is the kind of game where they, they definitely need something. Uh, they're going to be without Pontus Janssen and Christopher Ayer. Uh, there's a doubt over on Yeka. Uh, Kaladzic is out for Wolves. We do have Huang back. Uh, Ruben Nevers and Johnny are both still suspended. Uh, so Wolves probably will go with a 4-4-2 they used against Chelsea on Saturday again. It was 1-1 at Brentford, but I'm going to go for Wolves to nick this by a goal to nil. That's exactly what I was going to predict. Exactly. 1-0 to Wolves then. Kieran? Uh, said 2-0 uh, Brentford. 2-0 to Brentford. Okay, then. Kieran, your final game is Nottingham Forest against Manchester United. Forest come into this one winless in their, na- their last nine Premier League games. Uh, the most any team has gone this season without a win is 12, which was, of course, Crystal Palace. Uh, they've lost their last two in a row. Um, but, uh, sorry, uh, they lost to Newcastle last month is the only loss in their last 11 home league games. Um, but the last home league win came at the start of February against Leeds. Uh, for Man United, uh, they've had back-to-back wins. Of course, they both came at home after they'd gone free without um, scoring in any of those three games where they failed to win as well. Uh, away from home, they've actually only won once in 2023, which came against Leeds back in February, losing three and drawing the other. Um, only Everton have picked up fewer away points in 2023 than Man United. Um, but if Newcastle do fail to win and Man United win here, they will, of course, go third thanks to their very good um, home record. Um, they, of course, won here in the League Cup, um, so I'm backing them to win here again, 2-0. Two 2-0. Nil. Two nil. I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. Jonathan? United to win 1-0. United to win 1-0. Final game we've got is Leeds against Liverpool. He's a bit a classic back in the day. This game, Viduka scored, scored four or three. He definitely a yeah. Premier League classic, <laughs> prime Barclays. Yeah, and also the 60. Four FA Cup final. Yeah. Um, sure. When Leeds won, uh, no, Leeds Leeds lost two one. Liverpool won it two one. Uh, Ian St John winner, I think, in extra time. Well, I, yeah, I think it's going to be two one to Liverpool uh, based on what happened back in. What was it? Sixty four to sixty five. Might be sixty five. Why are you asking? Are you asking like I'm going to. Know. I, think, I, I think it was sixty five. Anyway, five minutes for half time against Palace. Leeds. Uh, everything seemed well for them. They'd won two of the previous three. They won up. They were absolutely cruising. And then suddenly something went bizarrely wrong and they lost that game 5-1. And I think that can go one or two ways. They'll either panic them and they'll fall apart or it might reset minds and it might just be a freakish thing that that uh, you know, they, they, they suddenly will tighten up at the back. They've got a tough run in. They've got City, Newcastle, Tottenham still to come and they're only two points above the drop zone. So given Liverpool's away form, this is probably a game where Leeds will be looking to get, you know, where they really need to get something. Liverpool have only won uh, three out of 15 away from home. They haven't had an away win 
since they beat Newcastle back in mid-February. Uh, Liverpool haven't won in five, though. They're eight. They're 12 points off four, so that race is, is over. Uh, and there's sort of a sense of decline about them now and the news that they're not pursuing Bellingham sort of adds to that. Uh, Verbo and Adams both out for Leeds. Uh, Bajetic, Diaz and Cater all out for Liverpool. But I think Liverpool probably will just have enough and win 2-1. I'm going to go 2-0 to Liverpool. Kieran? Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 Liverpool. Okay, lovely. I mean, I tend to relax towards the end of the show. So when you were talking, I noticed a few things going on in both of your backdrops that I'd like to discuss quickly before we go. So it was, it was 1965. So 1965, that's good. Good, I'm pleased. You're, Jonathan, you can't move for books where, where you are. Books everywhere. Every, every, every corner you turn, there's a book. Uh, it's because my uh, my library's getting getting redecorated. So library, of course. M- most of my most of my books are in boxes, and then yeah, the the ones. Hang on, which side? It's that side. They're the books currently in use. These are books that have recently arrived. Okay. Um, that are yet to be shelved because there are no shelves at the minute. They won't get okay. put until the end of the season. Okay. I knew that. I knew there'd be an explanation to why there was there was there was books everywhere. And Kieran, in in your in your backdrop, those three. I think they're called rosettes. What are they? What are they for? There's three rosettes above a, above a picture next to the Arsenal Dreamcast shirt. Yeah. Three rosettes. Oh yeah, what, they're, what, they're, what um, they're from like um, FA Cup finals from when I was younger. Oh, just so not not for playing in them, obviously, just for no, no, just no, mem- no, memorabilia Arsenal, from from cup yeah, finals. Yeah. Don't see yeah. many rosettes nowadays, do? You? Is that what they're called? Are they called rosettes, Jonathan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm asking you as the elder statesman in this. <laughs> yeah, in no, this definitely podcast. rosettes. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Just thought I'd bring a bit of culture to the, to, to the end of the podcast and talk about books and rosettes. That does us for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast by whoscored.com. Do subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on so you know exactly when the next episode is coming. And if you've enjoyed the video, give it a like and a comment as well. Let us know if John Stones is the best centre-back in Europe and be kind to me if you do not agree with what I've said. We'll be back next week. Enjoy all the action of the weekend. And as ever, please. Please stay safe.